Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world, with your hosts, David Ye and Puneet Upadhyay. Before we get into the episode, we have a free MSC company database categorized by industry sector, location, as well as internship and full-time titles, so you can find that link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the It's a Material World podcast. I'm Puneeth. I got my co-host here, David. David, what's going on in your world right now? Yeah, exciting news, I guess. Uh, I'm moving apartments, so it's it's going to be three floors up, but I'm excited to use all my engineering knowledge and really all I went to college for to create a contraption to carry all my heavy stuff without lifting a finger. So Wow. Is uh, it going to go through the window up three floors and then into the next window? If it was on the same side of the building, that'd be great. But most <laughs> likely it's going to be my desk chair uh, and then my girlfriend's desk chair together to create one super desk chair. Wow. Um, so that I think that's going to be the plan. Uh, what's going on with you? <laughs> now, this is why you're pursuing your master's in yeah, materials this is, this is, engineering. Yeah, I'm taking a class right now on it, so it should be Perfect. very helpful. Perfect. Well, I probably will uh, need to leverage that same background because I am closing on a duplex on Friday and will probably, will will have to be moving next month over the course of a few weeks. I'll probably be using a more standard contraption, which is a, a U-Haul. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> Hiring two men to help you move stuff? No, no, I heard because this is the time where a lot of my friends are moving. But uh, one of my friends was able to rent like a U-Haul truck for like 25 bucks for the day. And so I'll just have like some friends of mine, I'll probably buy them a pizza and have them help me like move my couch and my mattress into there. But I'm a pretty simple guy. I don't really have too much in my apartment. So um, hopefully I can minimize costs because I'm using a lot uh, for this down payment and for closing (laughs) costs. So um, who knew uh, buying a house can be expensive, but (laughs) I'm, I'm excited for it. And that kind of ties right into the the theme of our episode or an application of uh, UBQ materials. So our episode today is focused on converting uh, landfill waste into climate positive thermoplastics. Um, And our company of focus today is UBQ materials, which does just that. And one of my favorite parts of the episode was talking about the construction industry and how their thermoplastic materials can make like housing more sustainable. And it's not just like flooring, like plastic flooring. It's also potentially furniture, it's roofing, carpet backing, et cetera. And so that reminded me of like another side conversation we had about just like voting with our wallets and contributing to a more sustainable future. And so now that you know, I'm about to be a homeowner. It's just something to think about. It's like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't just have to pay for like the traditional furniture. If there are more sustainably made furnitures with like better life cycle assessments, then um, I have the opportunity to vote with my wallet and pay for that and kind of contribute to a more climate positive future. What do you think listeners should look forward to with UBQ materials? Yeah, one of my favorite parts was when we talked about upcycling. And so the science of recycling and just kind of sustainability are very interesting, as in 
we talk about it like it's everywhere, but it's really not. And so how do we implement all these ideas and practice? It's very interesting. But the idea of upcycling in general is when we think about single-use plastics, a very common way is downcycling, which is you use something that has a lower quality than before. So you take polyester plastic and you cut it up into strings and then use that as a fabric, for example. And so UBQ allows us to upcycle. And so if we think about it, if we use something for one time and then we downcycle, we quickly cascade down to where the product is useless and in such low quality, but UBQ gives us a way to kind of reset the cycle and restart. And so I think that was very interesting and something to think about going forward when we think about sustainability is we could bring things back to the original, but it costs a lot of money. And so it's easier to downcycle, but how can we cut the costs and make it easier? And that's how we can uh, create a more sustainable world, how we're going to combat climate change and other environmental issues. So that was probably my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, for sure. And then kind of right at the end of the episode, Derek, our guest, he goes into some of the challenges that companies face and how maybe they're like, overcomplicating things. And so you'll have to tune into the end of the episode to see what materials engineers can do to maybe like simplify things and provide a different perspective while still encouraging like a sustainable future. So make sure to kind of subscribe on YouTube. We're closing in on a thousand subscribers. So we we would really appreciate any help um, getting there and then also leave a rating and review on Spotify or Apple podcasts. That also goes a long way for us. And in return, we have some free resources in our description, MSE company database, professional development guide, and more. So yeah, we really appreciate your help with getting us and helping us grow as a podcast. And let's get right into the episode. special guest for today's episode is Derek Schaefer, the Vice President of Sales and Business Development at UBQ Materials, which is a company that converts unsorted, quote-unquote, unrecyclable waste to thermoplastics. UBQ is the most climate-positive thermoplastic on the market, and we heard a really cool statistic. So for every ton that uh, UBQ produces, it diverts 1.3 tons of waste. So needless to say, we're very excited to bring on a representative from UBQ with such an impactful mission. Thank you so much for joining us today, Derek. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm really excited to connect with you guys and and share a little bit about the UBQ mission. And, and uh, hopefully some of your, your listeners and viewers can be inspired enough to um, you know reach out to either to UBQ or to even think a little bit differently about how they might go about their daily you know, uh, use in society. So if if it's not through a a partnership, it's just maybe how you look at your life in a different way. Yeah. So the waste problem is huge. And so we just want to give people some context. So every year, 2 billion tons of waste is generated worldwide. This is expected to double to 4 billion tons of waste per year by 2050. And the unfortunate reality is 96% of all this will never be recycled. How is UBQ Materials tackling this issue, and specifically in regards to what UBQ is hoping to do with looping it into a circular economy? Yeah, no, it's a that's a great question, and and before I kind of get into how we do it, you know, I, I always like to talk about waste. Uh, my background is in polymers. I'm not a waste expert by any means, but you know, when we talk about circular economy. On the plastic side of things, my background is in plastic and polymers. I spent almost 16 years in various roles 
And uh, one of the things that as plastic professionals, we tend to look at circular economy, but it really is based on our industry, meaning plastics. But the reality is we throw away so much more stuff than just plastic. And if you think about our customers who might buy plastic from companies like UBQ to make applications, plastic waste is is probably only 20% of the challenge that we see globally for our landfills and how waste is generated. Um, The other 80% of that is going to be organics, things like food waste, paper, cardboard, yard trimmings, and unrecycled plastic waste. And so what UBQ is really trying to do is to develop a circular economy, but on steroids. And so what we have developed is a a process where we can take not only the unrecycled plastic waste, but we can now tackle things like food waste, garden waste, paper, cardboard, the unrecycled plastic waste. Because if you think about people who use and consume plastic, specifically on the consumer side, uh, let's think of a brand like Pepsi. Pepsi makes a plastic part for the holds either uh, food or, or some type of a drink. So when Pepsi are talking about circular economy, they not only are worried about the, the plastic that goes into their applications, but also the product. So the food waste, the chips. So if you look at the, the food waste that goes to a landfill, those tend to break down way faster than traditional plastic. So, you know, companies like a Pepsi, when they talk about circular economy, They're talking about the food waste that generates from their process. They're talking about the cardboard for the packaging. They're talking about the plastic. So it goes beyond just one piece of that component. And so our process really is designed to take everything that ends up in a landfill. We get certain parts to the right areas like metal, glass, aluminum, and high-value plastics. We want those to be recycled traditionally. And we're just set up to catch everything else that goes to that landfill. So when we talk about recycling and waste, a lot of times the system we have today is very rigid, meaning that only certain types of plastics have to be divided, cleaned, et cetera. And so your solution sounds like it's much more flexible. Could you touch on the like rigidity of our current system and how you can improve upon this to make something more flexible like you're talking about, which would make it infinitely more usable? Yeah. And so first, I I do want to highlight, you know, UBQ's mission is to catch everything else that goes to a landfill. And so the first step that we that I like to say is continue to build out recycling. Why it might be rigid and a little bit, you know, not as depth as we would like, it's still really, really good. And so the reality is, is depending on the region, you might see between 5% up to 12% recycled plastics. UBQ, we want that number to double and triple and quadruple. But the reality is, if I can snap my finger and do that today, even if I could quadruple it based on the high numbers, it's still 60% of plastic is going to end up in our landfill. So what I always say is continue to build out recycling. If that's mechanical or chemical, that's fine. That's great. And so UBQ is really saying do that first off and foremost because we've developed our our process to be compatible with not only like multi-layer filmed packaging or maybe paper that has some polymer coating, but we can take even the banana pills, the chicken bones, the dirty diapers. And so that's the value that UBQ is bringing. And that process could look a little bit different depending on the region. And so in more of a developed country like the United States or Europe, where we have some recycling and sorting, our process might look a little bit different. We might source individual components, meaning we might have a partner that only takes the food waste and we might have a partner that only has paper waste. And so we'll kind of source uh, individual components 
or we might be in a developing country like Israel, for example, where the collection's pretty good, but uh, the sorting isn't quite there yet. And so our process in a developing country might be where we take uh, waste that's unsorted meaning it still has metal, glass, aluminum, plastic, food waste. And so UBQ's process can be kind of tailored to either take out some of those components that might be in mixed waste, or we can even isolate the waste and create custom types of applications. So it does kind of uh, you know depend on the region that we're going to be in. But at a high level, the process is still the same. We take waste, and the first step is to dry it out. That moisture that's encapsulated in your in your banana pill or apple, you know, I would say 70% of that, 50 to 70% of that's going to be moisture. So we want to take the, all those moistures out of it. And so basically what's left is that, that apple, you know, we're now conducing it down to its most basic building block of sugar. From the paper and cardboard, we're drying that out and breaking it down to cellulose. And so really, no matter what your, your original input is, whether if it's food waste or plastic, our process has the ability to basically reduce it down to its most basic building block component. And so what we do is we take it, we dry it, and then we put it through a process where we're basically reducing it down to a, a, this most you know, singular basic block. And then we reconstitute it into a novel material system that we call UBQ. And so the material that, that we developed, the UBQ tablet, is roughly 80% organics, things like cellulose, fiber, sugars, and lignans. And the other 20% of that's going to be predominantly polymers. And so our customers will take our tablet that we design, and they will actually put that into applications that are polymers, ranging between five all the way up to even 95% in some areas, depending on the process, the material, and or the application. So uh, we've developed a process that is also compatible uh, with a number of material systems, ranging from automotive to industrial to even consumer type applications. Yeah, your uh, partnership model is super fascinating. And we'll get into that later on. But before that, I really just wanted to learn more about like your background. So you mentioned you have this Palmer's background, and now you're the vice president of sales and business development at UBQ. So how did you go from having this Palmer's background into this more like business focused role? And what motivated you to join UBQ? Uh, you know, my background's pretty unique. I, I come from a financial background. And uh, I remember my first job, I, I sat in a cubicle, and uh, my cubicle mate was a little bit older than I am. And, and I remember sitting there saying, I want to do something else. I had no idea what it was I wanted to do, but I wanted to kind of travel, see the world. And a, a, a plastic company reached out to me talking about how they can take polypropylene and then help uh, increase the requirements to create things like automotive parts or consumer parts. And uh, I remember my first day I showed up thinking I would see bumpers and caps and closures and all kinds of cool parts. And they said, no, we make the plastic pellets to make those. <laughs> so I had a, a very steep learning curve from coming from finance to uh, the polymer sides of things. But, you know, really just like a good financial advisor or a good engineer on the polymers, curiosity is the key. And, and that's what always was instilled to me. And so I've been on this plastic journey for about 15 years. Uh, and I've been very fortunate to be with companies that have always instilled sustainability into the core of their business. And what I've learned is that, you know, predominantly we, we did that out of necessity to be cost competitive. 
But as time kind of moved on, the, the, the idea changed around not only being cost competitive, but being sustainable. And so uh, before joining UBQ, I was with a very large global billion dollar organization where sustainability was at the focus of their organization. And it really created something bigger inside me to say, what else could I be doing to go deeper and deeper inside the world of sustainability? And when a company like UBQ calls you where they could take dirty diapers and chicken bones and turn them into a polymer uh, material, it makes you really interested. So um, <laughs> I joined UBQ almost two years ago to the date when it was really kind of a, a startup kind of trying to go into that next level. And uh, the last two years have been an amazing journey for not only just my learning around materials, but more importantly around sustainability, because I think a lot of companies you know, tend to think of sustainability as a way to increase recycled content, to manage your pricing. But uh, I've taken some classes and done some studying and really sustainability boils down to how sustainable is your business going to be for the next five and 10 and 20 and 30 years. And so it not necessarily isn't just the materials you use, but it's the type of suppliers you align with. It's a type of pricing strategy that you develop. And so all those things go into making sure that your products are sustainable for the future, but you also design in a way that they're better for the future. And so at UBQ, that's 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 really what we're doing. And we have really unique partners. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy to be over here and, 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 and being able to kind of preach our gospel with, the, with your group today. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, so now we can kind of dive into the science a little bit. Yeah. So you convert, I guess, like this landfill waste into thermoplastics. And basically a thermoplastic is a material with a low melting point that becomes kind of molten when heated, solid when cooled, and then it can be remelted or like molded upon cooling. Whereas kind of the opposite is a thermoset where that hardens once it's cured by heat and then it can't be reshaped even after the curing process. So can you kind of just like talk us through that conversion process into the thermoplastic? I know you already talked about it a little bit, but maybe even elaborate and kind of discuss if that can be done for other types of plastic waste, like a thermoset. Yeah. And, and so what we're talking about is replacement versus compatibility. And UBQ is very dynamic because a lot of times polymer systems are really set to either being a thermoplastic or a thermoset, and there's different levels of either properties and or performance associated with those types of materials. And uh, one of the things that's very dynamic about UBQ is our material is not only compatible with thermoplastics like polypropylene or polyethylene, or even subsets of those like thermoplastic elastomers, TPEs or even thermoplastic polyolefins like a TPO. We also have some companies uh, and partners that do use some thermosets. And so our material systems can go into, you know, polypropylene, polyethylene, high impact polystyrene, extruded ABS, TPEs, TPOs. And so we're, we've created a value proposition to where we can be compatible with those types of materials, but we might not be able to replace them at 100%. And so typically what we would do is when we would go to one of our partners, we'll just say, what are you using today? And what are your goals from a sustainability standpoint, from a pricing standpoint? And then from there, we can kind of customize our solutions because what we have found is that 
a solution for like a PepsiCo where they're making pallets is going to be way different for something like a polymyrtle who's developing applications that are aluminum plated or copper plated. And so our process is, is unique to where we can add levels of UBQ and still satisfy harsh requirements or even your most basic, hey, this is a one-way pallet and need to do X, Y, Z, and that's it. So it really depends on the process, the material, and what the goals are for the application. And so you mentioned uh, Polymyrtle, which is actually a partner that you work with, and they create hybrid material with UBQ, polymers, and metal. So you mentioned the two main benefits of this before, that it's lightweight and sustainable. Could you go more into that process and kind of elaborate on how Polymyrtle can combine with UBQ to make these advanced materials? Yeah, yeah. So in general, Polymyrtle is a very interesting company. Uh, What they've done is developed a cutting edge metal plating process where they can create cost-effective, sustainable parts that otherwise would be traditionally made of 100% or high levels of metal and aluminum. And so I think it's like six to eight months ago, they came to us where we began the process of developing a new product line in which the goals were to introduce high levels of sustainable material, lower the carbon footprint, and meets the key metallic properties for aluminum-based parts. So very big task, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> you know, so you're sitting here going, okay, okay, what else do you want? <laughs> and so, you know, what we've done after numerous trials, we landed on a solution called SPP50XX. And so when we develop this application, there's a number of challenges that go into making sustainable applications that um, where we need to, to meet the lightweighting characteristics of aluminum. And so those those challenges are achieving uh, the necessary toughness around thermal stability, the toughness requirements, um, the electromagnetic shielding features. And there's a lot of things that go into this because it not only touches the automotive industry, but it can go into industrial and consumer products that each have different requirements. So again, going into what markets you're playing into and the requirements, we have to be able to adapt our, our process and properties depending on that. So uh, we developed the SPP50XX program, and what they've done is they created an injection molded material that incorporates 20% UBQ with polypropylene to get the core of the product. And then what they do is they then put a, a layer of copper and or nickel at various thicknesses on top of the application for plating. And so when you surface the polymer substrate with a, with a plating process, it allows for the part to remain lightweight. It exhibits key metallic properties, and uh, but that goes around the durability, the stiffness, the heat resistance, but more importantly, the electromagnetic shielding. And so this product uh, was introduced about two months ago, and we'll begin sampling those with various partners for them. And so, um, you know, that's just one of the examples uh, of a very highly technical process that, you know, we're not only targeting plastic replacement or metal replacement, but we're doing it with things like chicken bones, banana pills, dirty (laughs) bags, right? And so the idea is, is that our partners are starting to think differently about how they can design around sustainability, uh, but also create functional parts out of the materials that they developed. 
And so it seems like UBQ allows for all these great advancements with these composites, basically with this very sustainable material. Going back to UBQ and maybe the core technology without uh, getting into anything you can't say, could you elaborate more on like maybe the efficiency or like how we can take these chicken bones and if any metrics you have to talk about how you can make polypropylene or polyethylene? Yeah. So, you know, it really goes back to thinking a little bit differently about how you design. And, and I've been in plastics for like 16 years now, and, and I don't know your level. You might be a little younger or older uh, with your, with your skill set. <laughs> but, you know, a common thing that I, there's two things I, I always hear when, when going into a development product. One is I want to be green until I have to pay for it, meaning I don't want to pay more for sustainability. And the other thing is, is, well, I use this material today because we've used it for 30 years and it works well, and there's no need to change it because we've been doing it for, for many, many years. And, and what I uh, will always say is that when you think that way, specifically as an engineer, you really kind of stagnate your growth. And it doesn't matter if you're designing around sustainability or materials like UBQ, but also you're not thinking the right way around cost. Sometimes you look at cost as you know, oh, this is a dollar per pound, or this is 50 cents per pound. But what you don't see when you look at things on just a pricing standpoint is the other benefits or the other values that you can bring. And so, you know, UBQ, in addition to being cost competitive, there's a number of benefits like lightweighting, you mentioned, reducing the carbon footprint, increasing recycled content, um, we're a bio-based material. And so a lot of companies are able to extract various values that they otherwise couldn't. And so what I would what I would always encourage is that if you're developing a new part or a new application, lead with sustainability at the start rather than trying to cram it in once the product's designed around a material that might be overly engineered. And so, you know, our process does allow uh, for us to go into highly engineered materials or even commodity type materials, depending on what's required for the part. So then from like the materials perspective, what properties of UBQ allow it to integrate so well with other materials like polymers and metals, like you mentioned, copper and nickel, while like not hurting the, the overall performance of that product, but like kind of improving from the sustainability side. Well, what's really nice is if you think about the 80% of our formulation that's going to be organics, because we break those down to their most basic building blocks, we're not saying there's chicken bones in our material. We're not saying there's <laughs> banana pills, right? We're saying there's things like cellulose, fiber, sugars, and lignans. And, and what's really nice is a majority of those organic byproducts are common building blocks for polymers today. We use cellulose fibers. We use uh, minerals like talc and calcium. Those are common fundamental building blocks that we use every day inside the automobile or with a consumer application. So the compatibility is very nice. We just derive to the, to the basic building blocks a little bit differently than, than some of the traditional types of uh, uh, systems out there. For example, we do have minerals in our material like talc and calcium. Those are derived differently for us. We get those from like uh, food packaging. Uh, we get them from the chicken bones where traditionally on the market, you go and mine those from the earth. You go to a calcium mine or a talc mine, which is fine, but we just derive it a little bit differently. So what makes UBQ very compatible is we just get our building blocks a little bit different. 
Okay, so now we can kind of move on to another very unique application. I don't think we've ever talked about this particular application on our podcast before, but it's garment hangers. So that it kind of just shows that plastics enable a lot of applications that we use on, on a day-to-day basis. And so UBQ Materials partners with MyNetty, which is a company responsible for 80% of the world's garment hangers. And you are collaborating to make a climate neutral hanger. So I just wanted to hear what makes this garment hanger climate neutral and how does that compare to kind of what's traditionally used with regards to durability and cost? Yeah. So when, when we set out to design a hanger out of UBQ, you know, we, again, we sat down and we talk about what the goals are. And for Manetti, they, they had high hopes for developing a material that increased uh, the recycled bill or that increased recycled content that lowered the carbon footprint, and that met the same requirements from a a physical property performance. And so what we did is we set out to design an application, which was a hanger to meet all those different requirements. And when we talk about carbon neutrality, one of the things that goes into developing those materials is understanding the base formulation that they use today. And, And so the Minetti project aside, what I will tell you is that, you know, introducing UBQ between five to 30% will help you get carbon neutrality, depending on the material system that is the base structure of the application. You know, high level, we did something called an LCA or a life cycle assessment on our, on our, uh, on our material. And what we have certified is that we have the greenest thermoplastic material on the market today. Qantas gave us that certification. And, and really what that means is for every ton that you use, the literal ton, you'll divert 11.7 tons of CO2 based on a GWP-20. And so we report that number, the GWP-20, and basically what that means is is if that material sat there over a course of 20 years, what kind of impact that would have on the environment. And so some companies will look at that on a GWP-20 over 20 years, and some will look at it over 100 years. We specifically communicate 20 years because we're in a climate emergency. And if you think about things like food waste, paper, cardboard, those tend to break down much, much faster than plastics. And in fact, if you think about methane, they are very intense uh, from our landfills in the first 20 to 30 years, and then the emissions kind of trickle off. So because we're fighting methane from the landfills, we work with partners to use that GWP 20 number that I mentioned, 11.7, to help offset their carbon footprint. And so for recycled polypropylenes or recycled materials, you only need about 5% of UBQ to help neutralize that carbon footprint. Um, because even recycled materials have a negative impact on the environment. Uh, let's take uh, like you recycle a, a detergent bottle. I have to go find it. I have to clean it. I have to grind it. I have to shred it. And then I have to pelletize it. All those have negative impacts on the environment, but not as bad as virgin polymers where you have to extract it from the earth. You have to uh, process it and turn into materials. So in the case of Manetti, we're developing applications that have 5% to help them to get carbon neutral. And we're also trying to find ways to where maybe even they can start to harvest carbon and they can get the numbers up to 20% inside virgin or recycled materials. So again, it kind of goes back to balancing what kind of sustainable requirements, pricing requirements, and performance requirements of the applications. And Manetti allows us to be aggressive on certain product lines where we have the flexibility on performance or price. And then on some of the other ones where we're a little bit more structured, you know, we have other areas that we that we formulate around. So it's really application dependent. 
So I waited until we got to the first application to ask this, but one thing you've been mentioning is the idea of upcycling. And so very commonly today, we do downcycling where we take these materials, they have wear, they have tear, and instead of put all this processing back into creating new pristine material, we just downcycle like polyester will now become fibers for clothing. With UBQ, it sounds like there's an easier pathway to upcycle. Could you talk about UBQ's vision for upcycling and how you think that industry will change over the course of the next 20 years? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting to see it now. I would say one of the biggest challenges that we have is there's great technologies out there like UBQ and, and there's all kinds of other fun stuff out there. The biggest challenge that we have is just, you know, getting the focus. And, and right now it's really, really challenging because you got people uh, messaging ranging from lowering the carbon footprint, increasing recycled content, bio-based, uh, derived applications. So there's so many good types of uh, solutions out there. The challenging part is everyone's trying to get the attention of the same, you know, the same customer base. <laughs> and one day you could go into a very large OEM and they're saying, yes, carbon footprint, but they struggle with trying to figure out how to calculate carbon footprints because there's not enough awareness and education around proper carbon uh, calculation. And then you might go to a different OEM and they talk about post-consumer or post-industrial materials. And there's a lot of debate still on what classifies as post-consumer versus post-industrial. And so the biggest challenge that, that I see over the next 20 years is, is proper accounting methods for what organizations are trying to achieve, either if it's an LCA requirements or plastic polymer, recycled content goals. Uh, but we're starting to see that, that happen now. But the very, very encouraging thing that I'm seeing in, in countries like or in regions like Europe and the United States our brand owners are not stopping their sustainable development process. They're just saying, we're going to go ahead and we're going to be able to extract a lot of different messagings with companies like UBQ, because if for some reason the LCA accounting that we use or what they use don't match up, we can now fall back on post-consumer. If post-consumer goals don't match up, we can fall back on post-industrial. And if that doesn't work, we don't extract oils from the earth to produce our parts. We, we, we have waste. So that could work. So, so companies are, are drawn to UBQ because we come to them with a menu of claims and, and goals that we can offer them. And then we can kind of pick and choose. And then if a, two years from now, the proper accounting method comes along, then we could say, great, now we can understand your recycled uh, designation or we can do your LCA calculation. So our biggest challenge right now is that, you know, regulation hasn't caught all the way up around the accounting methods, but companies are still very, very aggressively going after finding solutions regardless. So this is diving more a little bit into your like business development role, but I was just wondering, like, how do you find these companies like Poly Myrtle or MyNetty, or we're even going to talk about Mercedes-Benz. I feel like they're well known, um, <laughs> but like, how do you find them and partner with them and kind of pitch like your properties? You know, uh, UBQ is very, very fortunate that we have an outstanding, outstanding marketing group. They help us create messagings and they understand where the big needs are for our partners. So, you know, when you have something like we could take waste and turn it into plastic and we can lower your carbon footprint and meet all these goals, you get a lot of attention. And so we're very fortunate to where we have inbound people coming to us wanting to learn more. Uh, but also we, we spend a lot of time on the business development side, cold calling customers, 
going to trade shows, networking, asking questions, going into doing podcasts just like this. Um, <laughs> you know, so these are all very crucial. And I believe that, you know, part of our, our mission is there's a tremendous responsibility that we have. And we feel like we have the medicine for a very, very big problem. And the more people that we can reach and the more people that we can get to use UBQ, the faster that we can start to heal the earth. And so if it's doing a podcast or if it's talking to someone uh, in a different part of the world that we didn't even know existed, those are the things that we're doing. You know, no company, no brand, uh, no goal is too small for us because everybody who's using UBQ is, is helping us eliminate one more pound or tons or kilotons from our landfills. So uh, it's a lot of work, but it's also a big responsibility that we have. Changing gears, uh, you actually partner with Mercedes-Benz. And according to you, that's one of the last people you think you would ever partner with. <laughs> so we would love to hear the story about how that came to fruition and what your materials are being used in the vehicles for. Sure. Yeah. And, and so when we say it's the last person that we would ever thought, I, I think the right thing is, is that they're probably hopefully one of our first ones, but we just didn't know enough about our technology. You know, taking a step back, UBQ has been around 10 years in July. We've only been commercially selling material and producing commercially for about, you know, three and a half, four years. And so we're still new. And so when we see companies like Daimler, that's known for high quality, high performance, consumers love the brand, love the product. Uh, when they came to us, we said, why don't we start kind of small? <laughs> Let's start <laughs> off with maybe your supply chain, like your pallets and your bins and your totes. And they said, okay, we can start there. But we believe that there's more opportunities for us to go a little bit bigger uh, with UBQ. And, and so I can't get into the number of projects, but now we're working with Mercedes-Benz and a number of other companies doing both interior and, and exterior automotive applications Everything from wheel liners and underbody shields that have high impact requirements to the inside of an automobile, like the floor mats that are made out of TPEs, we are uh, really just scratching the surface. I, I would anticipate automotive, you know, definitely being in the top uh, two or one to three uh, market spaces for UBQ long terms. And and what's very encouraging and, and why companies are gravitating towards the likes of UBQ is almost every single major automotive OEM has goals around increasing recycled content, lowering the carbon footprint, you know, slowing or reducing the amount of virgin materials they extract from the earth. And UBQ can check all those boxes. So there's a lot of excitement. And, uh, you know, what UBQ is doing is we're really stressing the our, our formulations as much as we can. Uh, in business development, our job is to develop business. And meaning if you come to me with a crazy, a crazy idea, and it seems like it's somewhat feasible, you know, we're willing to take those chances to see how far we can push it. And, and luckily, you know, the partners we have today continue to say, well, what about this? And what about that? And every time we start that process, we learn more and more about our materials and we can customize our materials at that point too. 
That's cool. So one of the challenges, maybe this is kind of the underlying reason why it was maybe a little bit unexpected to have this collaboration to the extent that it is right now is kind of the regulations and the the standards set in the automotive industry. How does UBQ kind of like attack that and be able to kind of comply to all of the regulations um, in the automotive space? Yeah, and, and I would say it's not just the automotive space. It's every it's every industry, right? I mean, I think it it doesn't matter if it's construction that has a lead, or um, it could be uh, consumer products that has uh, the PCR mandates. But but ultimately, what UBQ is doing is we're looking uh, at three really big mandates that are driving changes to solutions like UBQ. The first mandate is going to be government regulations and government mandates. We're starting to see it very heavily in Europe. We're starting to see it in Canada. And we're slowly starting to see it here in the U.S. where an example of a mandate that would impact companies or drive them to UBQ is around post-consumer minimums. Post, uh, and so in Europe, a lot of their packaging requirements now are saying they need 30% post-consumer inside their, their packaging materials. And we anticipate that to grow uh, into building and construction materials. We anticipate to grow inside the automobile. And so that uh, the government mandates we're now seeing here in the U.S., uh, and we anticipate that to start to look very similar to that of Canada and Europe over the next uh, three to five years. The second one is corporate mandates. So regardless if the government is coming to them and saying, you need to do this, we see a lot of corporations. A good one is like a Procter & Gamble who have goals around recycled content, carbon footprint. And it's not just P&G. It, it's, it's, it's majority of the very large Fortune 100 companies now have uh, have consumer-facing sustainable development goals that they're communicating. They're even starting to tie executive and uh, employee pay to sustainable goals. And so that's that's very important uh, when you have a CEO and a purchasing uh, CPO and a, a CTO where they're saying, hey, 10% of your bonus or your or your salary is going to be geared towards these sustainable development goals. That, that, that gets their attention. <laughs> the last one, which we talked about before we started the call, is consumer mandates, specifically with younger generation. You know, we're in a climate emergency and we feel like over the next 20 or 30 years, if we don't do something, the earth is going to be in a very, very poor state. And that doesn't impact terribly much the person who's 80 or 90 years old, <laughs> unfortunately, but it impacts people like us. I'm 36 years old. I don't have kids yet. Maybe I will. And I'm very, very concerned about what the next 20 or 30 years is going to look like for either my potential child or my nieces and nephews or even myself uh, or yourself. And so how I spend my money and where I spend my money uh, are typically around applications that are made with post-consumer products that have green messaging. You know, I drive a hybrid because I feel like it, I need to do something for the earth. One day I'll drive an electric vehicle. Um, if you're a gas company or a, a car company that has predominantly gas vehicles, we need gas like we need virgin plastic. But consumers are saying, well, if it's same, same, I'm going to go with something a little bit more environmental or friendly. So that that's that's just kind of my feeling. I'm going to throw it back to you guys. You're you're uh, I think around <laughs> my age or maybe a little bit younger. I mean, what do you what are your thoughts about, you know, the consumer mandates and how you spend your money? Yeah, I mean, it's I definitely am in agreement where it's like we're starting to show our like advocacy for 
more sustainable products through our wallets. Like I think for me in particular, that's been a big shift is now that I've been in a full-time role for a year, I now have more like power with my wallet. Right. Um, so I can kind of like dictate where I allocate my funds to. And even like in terms of donations and, and things like that, a lot of that is like environmental based. So yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. And I think we'll start to see that more and more. And I think we're seeing it from from the company side too, is just like the bigger focus on sustainability. And like, even I think I have plans to switch over to an electric vehicle similar to you. So, but yeah, I mean, David interned at Tesla. So like you, yeah. you can take it from here. <laughs> I would say that at least for me, it's very important. And that's why I've dedicated a lot of my time and energy and research into energy storage. And so I've decided in my own way, to focus on how do we get to those solutions and we're going to need ways to store energy or else none that's going to work. And so it's just a way that I found that I had experience, an ability and a will to help advance that field. And I think that when I look at my, my peers and also the competitors as well, but looking around and seeing like there's a million people who apply to Tesla every year. That's like the most I've ever heard ever. And just, and even with its ups and downs, like it is one of the most like polarizing. And I think that's not a bad thing because to be polarizing, you're getting the attention or making change. And so I think that from my point of view, I've decided that that's what I want to do. And that's the job I want to go down to make an impact. And I think that won't be any different that I will also vote with my wallet and things, but it's just another way that we can make an impact similar to how you want to push along these new stable plastics. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing that companies are starting to be aware of is, um, you know, you talk about where you invest your money. And and uh, I remember going back 10 years ago or whenever Tesla became an IPO, I, I didn't have a lot of money, but I was like, this aligns with what I think. And so I invested in things like Tesla or I invested in companies like UBQ with my own career, right? And so, you know, that's one of the things that uh, we're very fortunate today to where we can kind of pick and choose where we work, where we spend our money, how we spend our money. And um, that's a big, big thing to consider when you're a, a consumer company that makes um, detergent uh, or you're making a car, because we're very cautious of, of, of what that impact might have. And, we, and we're starting to know what goes into making it too. So it's very, very exciting. You mentioned the construction industry, so maybe we can pivot to like a tangentially related topic, um, which is flooring. And so interestingly, I guess like in buildings, plastic flooring is like somewhat common um, outside of maybe ceramic tiles or natural hardwood. And that's where UBQ can make an impact. So can you kind of talk us through how these materials can be incorporated into plastic flooring and where would you like to see it kind of be implemented in the future, five years down the line, 10 years down the line? Yeah. So, you know, it really goes back to a really cool case study that we're doing right now. You know, uh, McDonald's is one of our early partners along with Daimler, and, and they came to us with the idea of making a tray for their customers. So in Latin America, we launched this tray for McDonald's stores. But that was more of a, a proof of concept or a case study to get their, their customers aware of technologies like UBQ. So that product is launched and it's still uh, ramping up today. But I remember the conversation originally was, 
that's that's not where we want to end. We I, we envision a day to where we can build a whole store out of UBQ. And so over the last really two years, um, we've been looking for applications ranging from like uh, LVT flooring, carpet backing systems, wall panelings, roofing systems, playground equipment, furniture. Um, so the building and construction space is very, very large opportunity for UBQ, mainly because a lot of the materials that they're using are going to be commoditized, either, you know, things like polyolefins, PP and PE, you know, TPOs, PVC, both rigid and flexible. And so right now, I mean, the number of, of, of applications that are currently underdeveloped right now for either flooring or wall panelings, roofing systems, you know, I, I envision, you know, building construction being a very, very large piece of our pie. Because if you think about like even a company like Google, the Google has goals around carbon neutrality. And so when they're building their, their facilities or even Amazon, when they're building their warehouses, that, that idea of carbon neutrality is now starting to, to, to change into how they build their facilities. So they can manage things like water energy, waste energy. But one of the things that they, they're now thinking about is um, how can we build our, our system? So we envision the next five years, uh, our, our footprint inside the building and construction space continuing to increase with the application's focus being, you know, things like decking materials, LVT flooring, carpet backings, uh, wall panelings, um, roofing systems, tile systems. It, it, we really believe that we're just scratching the surface. We even have some case studies where we can actually compress our material and make build, uh, and make bricks that are 100% UBQ that we can coat. You know, so you're thinking about developing worlds where you need low cost materials. We're trying to really solve that that type of a problem also. Imagine a building made of 100% waste, but it's disguised as actual building materials. Yeah. That, that, that's what we are envisioning. And, and, um, and, and we think we could do it. We just need the right types of partners to take that risk and, and go on that journey with us. And I think that's a great segue is that you have such lofty goals, which seem attainable. But when you think about it, we can make one house, sure. But scaling it up to like an entire neighborhood that's when with such a uh, new technology, that's how you're going to have to scale up. And so what are the challenges UBQ is working on currently to be able to set up because you're talking about building materials, you're talking about consumer goods, your plastics are everywhere. And so how do you scale up to meet the demand of all your potential? That, that's part of the reason why we took so long to come to market is we're a 10 year old company, but again, commercially making material for the past three to four years. During that seven-year period where we were kind of in stealth mode, we were proving out a lot of stuff. I mean, the first thing is to take a chicken bone and all these other components, and then just to be able to process that down into something, regardless if it's compatible with plastic or compatible with wood, you know, that was the first journey of our of, of UBQ. We've proven that. The second one was finding how to implement it. What, what was going to be our vehicle? And polymers is one of those. You know, but we also can replace wood. We're replacing metal and aluminum in some cases too. And, and so the biggest problems I would see challenges is just we're learning more about a novel material system. I like to joke that you're seeing us in our best state we've ever been in, but tomorrow we're going to be in our better state and we're going to get better and better and better. And um, 
I would say the biggest challenge that we have at this moment is really around just uh, the number of partners that we have and and scaling up the material. So last December, we actually accepted uh, one of our first outside investments inside UBQ, where we saw north of $175 million invested inside us to help us with the challenge of scaling faster. So our our facility in Israel, where we're at today, we have right around 5,000 metric tons or 14 million pounds of capacity. And knowing how big Daimler is, they could take that in a week or two if they they really, (laughs) really, really wanted to. And so one of the challenges that as we get deeper with our partners and we're seeing success with those of like Polymyrtle or or some of the other ones that we've had, the biggest challenge that they have is they want to move quick and they need a lot of volume in order to do so. So the fundraising that we did has led to further investments inside uh, our capacity. So our first facility that is going to be dedicated to 100% production is being constructed right now in bergen Zoom in the Netherlands, in Holland. And uh, that will become operational in uh, at the end of this year. So capacity for that facility will be right around 80,000 metric tons or close to 200 million pounds. And we'll be able to service customers uh, not only in Europe, but also in the U.S., And then we're also currently looking for our first site here in North America. So I I can't share too much other than we're currently evaluating waste streams. We're looking at the compatibility to our process and what changes we might have to use. Uh, But fingers crossed by the end of the year, we'll announce our second facility dedicated to production, either in North America and or in Europe. But again, that's our biggest challenge is, is how can we can scale this now at a very, very fast rate. But with every challenge, uh, we're up to the task. And, and with that fundraising, we're able to move uh, a lot faster than what we, we were able to do uh, a year or two ago when we were self-financing. That's awesome. And so I, I have to ask, are you afraid of running out of chicken bones? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, with chicken bones, uh, uh, unfortunately, going back to your earlier comments, over 2 billion tons of waste yeah. uh, is generated every year. And if that number does double, we'll have plenty, plenty of chicken bones. <laughs> if not, they can come to my house. I'm a big fan of chicken wings. So I, 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 might, I might be the, the sole proprietor. Of, uh, <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, we will never run out of chicken bones, I don't think. Yeah, you got the input for sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, with, with all that being said, I think I'll, our audience can really get on board with UBQ's mission. And so just to wrap up the episode, how do you think our listeners can use their knowledge of material science and engineering to potentially contribute to UBQ's mission and vision? Yeah. And, and I would say I see two answers here. And one is is very simple. And I said it earlier is just be curious. Do not rely on your easiest method sometimes. Uh, you know, think outside the box, take risk. And and I hope it's with UBQ. I think UBQ is one of the best solutions out there. I think we offer a lot of good value. But again, UBQ is one solution. There's there's other solutions out there that you can leverage. And and um, you know what we want to do is to, is, is to push curiosity and to push the boundaries of your applications. I, I've talked to a very, very, very large automotive company. And one of the things they told me is that we just feel like we over-engineer all of our products. And not only that, but we're also probably paying a lot more money. And that's not just with sustainable things like UBQ, but because it's everything's moving so quickly and demands so hard, companies could be saving a lot of money if they just slowed down and said, 
does this part have to be made out of 100% virgin materials? Could we sacrifice some of the, the properties or could we redesign the part to increase the properties around sustainability? But that's my, my biggest advice is, is, you know, be curious, be an engineer, use your training that you can unlock different solutions because even if something's more expensive, you can design it to be cost-effective. And those are the those are the challenges that we really need to solve um, because if we can use less resources to get the same results, that's thinking sustainable. And so that's what we need to be doing. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. And it was really cool to talk about all the different applications and partners that UBQ has. I'm excited to see where this journey takes you all. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate the platform and I look forward to seeing all the great things that the two of you guys are gonna do too. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, done that. But just for a moment, Imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.